0: Well, hello there. Take two is what this turns out to be. Uh, welcome. I know it is Tuesday. Uh, I know it is, uh, I don't even know what day it is, actually. Today's date. I'm going to actually have to Google today's date. Uh, today is Tuesday, October twentieth, two 2015. Um, this is the Monday Morning Analyst. Now, I know we did this yesterday, but if you watched yesterday, and I took the video down immediately, so I'm sure most of you missed it, it was an epic disaster. I Tried out some of the new equipment. You can see some of it behind me. Um, in terms of um, additional stuff that will happen with it, which is why it's sitting there, but um, it, it didn't work, so I remain undeterred, we'll get it going, but I can't not do the podcast this week, so um, here we are rolling forward, that's all I'll say about it for now, and yes, the live chat will happen tomorrow as well. Uh, okay, so on today's uh, Monday Morning Analyst, we'll just do really one event and then one quick note. Uh, World Series of Fighting 24 took place over the weekend, headlined by a welterweight clash between John Fitch and Yushin Okami. We'll delve into a bit of the main card of that with a nice little twist. I'm going to try and add, um, and then I'll just make a quick opening statement about Rico Verhoeven getting into MMA. The podcast has three parts. Part one, opening statement. Part two, technical breakdown. And then part three, a look ahead. Uh, I'll try to keep this under 30 minutes if I can. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and kick off part one with our general overview, our bigger statement if we can. Um, I don't have the video here. I'm not going to try and play it. I'm not going to try and link it. But Rico Verhoeven, the glory heavyweight champion, competed in MMA over, I think, the, I think yesterday or yeah, a day or two ago. In any case, the video is out there floating around if you want to find it, and I recommend you take a look at it. For a couple of reasons, I think one, we all know that heavyweight is one of these divisions where the elderly kind of feed off the young. Uh, it would be nice to see a heavyweight prospect being able to excel up the ranks. Obviously, we have to take it, you know, fight by fight. If we're going to pump the brakes on people who would such upside of stage stage Northcutt, certainly have to pump the brakes on someone like Rico Verhoeven, who has a lot of kickboxing ability, but we don't really know so much about his ground. Um, his opponent did not look particularly good, uh, had virtually no half guard. Rico was able to just essentially just step over what didn't have to control the hips or the, the head and the neck at all. Just kind of just stepped over into Mount from Mount. He tried to buck and then do the bit where the legs come in front and try and pull you back. But those are, you know, you have to be really flexible to do that. Um, it didn't seem to know that how to bridge properly, um, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, there's not a lot you can say about him. But, you know, that's not Rico's fault if that guy doesn't look good. It's, it's his own fault. And Rico did everything that was essentially asked of him. You know, it didn't look like or little, he had maybe some issues with the small gloves in terms of working on his own defense or, um, you know, I think just a little surprised about the power of those things. I don't think he has a ton of work in with them, although obviously he's worked with the Black Zillions and, and other teams in the past. But I guess I would say he looked good for mount, had good, timely, high mount, Uh, good ground and pound. Um, given the rule set, uh, tried to go with a trip one way, couldn't, and then switched to the other. I thought that was a little of a a nice adjustment from the body lock. So we'll see how it goes, man. Long, long, long way to go for him. But I guess my opening state would only be that heavyweight could really benefit from, um, any kind of young, young youngish in Rico's case, uh, contender moving to the top. And one thing that's sort of interesting to me about Rico that doesn't really get discussed when you talk about him, um, I had a discussion with him for a long time, a private conversation um, just before his fight with uh, the rematch with Errol Zimmerman. This was in Hampton, Virginia. And um, so one thing I took away from the conversation was, you know, Rico's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, right? Um, that, you know, that he feels like he's a little bit disrespected and is deserving of more and and things like that and he definitely carries that into the k or the the cage in this case but the ring and glories um he doesn't if you just sort of watch what he says in public you don't really get a sense of that it's so only when you talk to him in private that he's you know not that this is a huge sort of centerpiece of his life or that he's you know that this is, should define his identity all i'm simply saying is just a little bit more of an edgy wrinkle to him that I, i'm not sure a lot of people are aware of and if you can take that to mma and then skill build on top of that, he's just got a lot of the right pieces to make things work. Again, that's hugely speculative. We have to take it fight by fight. But I like what I saw. I like what I know from him. And here's to hoping he can make some actual, you know, wrestling, grappling, skill development and turn it into something special and heavyweight. Lord knows that division could use it. Okay. Part two. Let's break down some of the technical action. So there's only really one event to get to. Um... And I just wanted to do this podcast because we didn't do it last week. I didn't want to go a couple of weeks without it. I apologize for all the technical difficulties yesterday, but here we are. We're going to give it one more try, um, the best that we can do. So World Series of Fighting 24 took place on Saturday, October 17th, at the Foxwoods Resort and Casino in Mashantucket, Connecticut. Uh, I don't have any attendance figures or uh, gate numbers for you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that the fighter of the card for me, uh, a.k.a. akin to the man of the match in soccer would be Vinny Megalish, which we'll get to um, as his fight comes up. The, about, excuse me, the event was headlined by a non-title welterweight fight between John Fitch and Yushin Okami, John Fitch winning via unanimous decision. And I made this mistake yesterday as well. Let me pull up the um, results so you can get the actual judges' scorecards here. Um Okami lost to Fitch with scores of let's see Fitch won 29, 28, and then two 30, All right. So what happened? Not a ton in this bout. Exactly. It wasn't a barn burner, but there were a couple of nice moments in each round. You can look to and say, um, that's something worth being noticed. So, um, there was a moment where Fitch was getting pressed into the fence So if you look at this, the the two guys had opposite stances. Okami was kind of pressing, but one of the problems Okami was having was he was just kind of incrementally, not, not crow hopping exactly, but just kind of incrementally stepping, which gave Fitch the chance to punch and circle out or launch offense of his own or just stay moving. Because if you give Okami a moving target, he doesn't have a lot to do with you. He likes to back you up. He likes to freeze you. He likes to inch on you and then make you stay still and then launch an attack. He has a little difficulty when guys are mobile or they can push back on him and counter him. So that was one thing that Fitch did mostly well. But one time, Okami was able to get him back, his his back to the to the fence, and it was kind of interesting. So you see Okami try and get in. Let me get so I can see myself here. Trying to get that. You can hear my dogs barking. Hit hit that C uh, grip. Either way works. You know, no matter which way you want to try. You see him try and get that. You know, can't quite do it, or you know he's he's getting close. Can't quite do it. And one thing that Fitch is doing really well, and if you go back and you watch, you might miss it. I think he does it two, maybe three times in total. But what he does is, you see him with left underhook, excuse me, left overhook, right underhook. Okami's trying to get his hands together. You see Fitch pull up with the overhook. Um, you see him. Let's see. Yeah, he pulls, and then. Just enough, kind of like a tea kettle, kind of tries to pour him over while he scoots his hips out to the side. It's not a huge movement. He doesn't yank, yank, and, and step out. It's very little. It's just enough to get like that. Just enough that if you're here and you're struggling and you're struggling and someone does it, you go back. That's all it is. It's just the, it's just a separation of that. But it's a deterrent for someone's mental attitude about it. if I can't get this, if I can't get close enough, I'm going to stop. So I encourage you to go back in round one. Watch when Okami puts Fish, Fitch against the cage and watch Fitch get that overhook, use that underhook, pull up, turn, and step his hips out just ever so slightly. He does it two, three times, and Okami has to abandon the attack. That was one point about it. And there's another point about it because the roles will be reversed, I believe, in the third round. And I'll get to that when we get to the third round. It should just be noted that small little things like that, Fitch's understanding of the position. One of the things that really I noticed in this was Okami was huge. He made 170. He was a big 185er. He was a big, a monstrous 170 guy. But what I really noticed was that he got technically out wrestled here. You know, when you see Fitch and Okami lock up in various positions, you can tell Okami's bigger, maybe even a little bit stronger. But that doesn't matter if, if the strength differential is. Slightly higher, but the skill gap is way higher. That can make up for so much, and there was just a lot of skill gap there. I, I really thought Fitch was just a much better wrestler. So that was kind of noticeable. So uh, another thing is, one time, Okami does manage to get behind him at the end of that first round. And you see him get his hands clasped together, and he's going to lift. Fitch wraps the outside of his right leg on the inside Uh, or I should say all the way around to the inside of Okami's leg, which kind of acts like an emergency break. If someone does that, they've attached themselves to you. You can't lift them past. That's a great way to make something happen. So kudos to John Fitch for doing that. So then we go to round two. Um, One thing that I really like that he did, John Fitch, to get a a setup on a takedown. So he's standing right-hand back, right? He jabs. He jab crosses. And then he fakes like he's going to jab, changes levels, and goes for a shot. So think about that. You get it? You're bang, eat the jab. And I believe the cross landed, as a matter of fact. It backed him up. Bang, bang, the cross lands. So you're expecting another striking combination, maybe a kick, whatever. You're you're paying attention now because he got your attention with that right hand when it landed. He also did a good job. Getting that lead foot to the outside. Remember, we talked about that. If you get the, if you have two strikers opposite stance, the guy who can get his lead foot to the outside, it opens up that firing lane for the for the straight uh, uh, power punch. So he lands the right bank and then fakes it, follows it up with a uh, a single leg. Um, great job from John Fitch and just staggering the attacks and then differentiating them when they really mattered. Uh, let's see. One little small note: Fitch gets a double, dumps Okami. Not a, not a huge point. Again, we're only talking about little details here. But watch when he drops him in that second round. Boom, scoop slams him. And when he does, his feet come off the ground as his shoulder in the sternum drives him down. He doesn't pick him up and then, like, fall with him. You know, you see Ronda Rousey sometimes crash with people. That's very painful as well. But imagine if she was crashing with a shoulder pointed into things. Um, that's a little bit of what Fish did. He kind of just drives that shoulder. So that was a nice little detail as well. Um, let's see. Small little note, Okami tried to time Fitch, so Fitch would jab and then cross. When he would hit the cross, what happens, right, your hips come kind of square, right, because you're like this, but then when they when you fire the lead shot, your hips come kind of, just, just a moment in time, they come square as you fire the, the lead hand, yeah. So when he would do that, Okami would try and time the double, couldn't get it. Fitch would then circle out, which would put Okami closest to the fence, which would reduce his movement, and then Fitch was able to sort of counteract from there, which was a nice little th- adjustment he was able to make. Um, Fitch actually got one takedown. N- nothing too spectacular. I mean, just hands clasped together, picked him up and dropped them. Um, but then landed in, in, in side control. He elected to move to half guard. Now, we know about half guard from Randy Couture. Guy, uh, guys like to sit there. They'll use, like, they like the, to control. They can wrap a leg. It reduces people's guards. It makes it harder to stand. It's, it's a lot of good things in mixed martial arts. It doesn't have quite the same power in pure grappling, but it's very good mixed martial arts. So we already know that. But it was interesting, if you watch Okami with just his one leg is almost able to propel himself backward with Fitch on top and half guard to roll out. Like, I mean, they were almost vertical. So you can imagine what he could have done with two legs. So It was a good choice by John Fitch to do that. He goes back into half guard again later against the fence. So I think it was more just that, you know, I like, to, I like the security of that position uh let's see so there was one moment where okami did actually a pretty good job for the, for the most part about getting back to his feet or at least creating scrambles to make fitch second guess things but one thing he did is so i'm talking about i want to say technically out wrestle because, we'll because okami has a lot of chances to return the favor it never really does okami gets back to his base so his hands and his knees he puts a foot up to stand when he does fitch wraps the head wraps the back of the leg, and gets a cradle together. Now, it was hard to see what he was using to grip the cradle, so because that wasn't so clear. What was interesting was that you see Fitch, because Okami rolls, Fitch tries to follow him on the roll, and gets kind of slouched off the side. You see him trying to anchor himself, getting that far hook in. can't quite get it. So what he does is, he actually winds up saying, I'm going to abandon this angle, I'm going to go over to this angle, I'm going to drive my head over for like that Juji Gatami that Ronda Rousey likes, shin behind the head, one underneath the body here, the other side of the arm, and then you roll them, right? Um, and you'll see Nick Newell try the same thing at Tom Marcelino, which we'll get to a little bit later. Can't quite get it because he has his arms wrapped in a weird way. When you had that Juji um I believe you have to have, yeah, you have to have the outside arm wrapped like this. And he kind of had the reverse of it. Um, so it didn't quite, he, he couldn't quite turn, but it completely immobilized Yushin Okami from standing or from additionally rolling or um, a lot of other things as well. Uh, let's see. Okay, then you move to round three. Not a whole lot in round three to talk about. Um, Fitch gets backed up with a jab, but as Okami tries to close the distance, he like does like a matador and steps to the side. Okami comes this way. And so Fitch immediately drops for an angle uh, or drops on a leg and gets the single. So I'm talking about when I say, like, technically out-wrestled, right? And here's a couple of other points. So he gets the takedown, then gets the cross-face immediately, and then other leg on the far side leg, sort of driving his hips flat, driving his shoulders flat, bang, flat on the mat, right? Um, Again, goes back to half-guard, elects to move into half-guard. So here's another situation. So Okami gets back to his feet. um, No, excuse me, Fish gets back to his feet. And then does something kind of cool. He uh, Okami tries to shuck him off and can't in the same position. Remember, Fitch before overhook, underhook, lift, turn, hips out. Okami couldn't do the same thing. So what does Fitch do? Fitch triangles his legs standing, and then almost does like a sit out for a standing uh, inside inside trip. So you do an inside trip, what are you doing? You actually turn, if you're facing here, you'll have your various underhook series going on. You'll actually have your hips to one way. So let's say I'm going to scoot with my left leg. I'll have my hips kind of facing to the side. I'll hook, and then when I turn, I turn and drop at the same time, right? Hook the leg, and then turn and drop at the same time to get them really off of their feet. He does that, except he triangles his legs beforehand and then just dives his body over. It's like... His legs are running the pipe for him. Remember running the pipe? You got the leg, got it between you. You got your elbows pinned. You got your knees pinched together. You got their leg between your legs, right? You drive over with the shoulder. Drop your hands to the ankle. So you put pressure on the full thing. Take a step out, circle, bang, running the pipe. That's that single leg finish. He almost does that. It's like a running the pipe slash, slash trip that he does by by triangling his legs and then just dropping out to the side. Kind of a neat little uh, thing that he does there. And then there's one moment where the roles are reversed again, right? Fitch is trying to scramble to his base. Okami's kind of on top. Fitch gets one foot up, but there's no guillotine attempt from Okami, and there's no cradle attempt from Okami. So what happens? They separate. So I'm talking about, man. Fitch just was a step ahead on the wrestling. He was just a better wrestler than Yushin Okami that night, and that's why he won. Um, Okay, in the co-main event, uh, Blagoy Ivanov defeated Derek Miman at 4.33 of the second round versus, uh, via TKO. Not a whole lot to say about this bout. wasn't that great. Um, Ivanov, the, the the key for him was landing the right hand. It was being a little more active. was a lot of pressure backing up Miman. Ivanov didn't do a great job of getting that outside lead foot, uh, I noticed. I watched the fight twice now, and I, I just never got a good sense that that was what was happening. That being said, the power hand was really landing for him, uh, and it was actually what closed the show in the end. I was able to get, it was able to get, uh, push him back and get react. reacting. Meeman was just on a lot of one twos, so it was kind of easy to counter. Uh, Mieman would paw with his jab and Ivanov would explode over the top with a right to catch him. Uh, so that was doing pretty well. You know, Meeman started out in the second round kind of backing him up and having a little more success, but eventually th- the tide turned and, and went back to to, to, to Ivanov's way. But not, not a lot technically that would really impress me there, um, to talk about. Uh, since this is his last fight, we'll talk just a little bit about. Um, also on that main card, uh, Nick Newell defeating Tom Marcelino re- being a unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. A little bit of controversy in that third round, um, but the first two rounds, pretty decently strong rounds for Nick Newell. Not a lot of damage, which he attested to and admitted, but positional control, I think, certainly won on that fight. Um you know, And you all know his reasons for retiring at this point. So a couple of things that he does really well. So he's got full use of his right arm, and, and uh, the, the left arm is the one that had the congenital amputation. What I really like from him is if he's, if he's got an underhook on the right side with a full arm, and someone's beginning to pummel back in and reestablish it, he cracks you in short range with his left. I really kind of like that because you're not expecting it. You, already ha- you probably already have the underhook here from what you can do with it, but he can kind of slip it over the top. This is one of the situations where – Um, people might say he has an advantage. And in that particular circumstance, I wouldn't say he has an advantage because he can't ever get full inside control on you. But in that one particular instance where if he has right underhook, you're driving your left underhook to reestablish inside control on that side, you can get popped at close range without even sort of realizing that you're in danger. So he does do stuff like that. But again, you know, you can't establish any inside control. It's hard to take down from any kind of body lock you know you can go for the legs it's a little bit easier because you can pinch them together but it's really hard to get any kind of any kind of crunch on a body that matters so like that is a total um you know disadvantage um in addition you know when you watch him strike he just looks like he's so uh, off balance because he has no real defense on this side. He has to wave this out. Guys can come underneath and cut angles on him. They can come over the top with his if his, if his jab is kind of lazy. So he has so many disadvantages. Like when you watch Nick Newell, and it's the first time I ever sort of like, not that I didn't realize it, but when you really put it together by examining tape on him, you begin to really notice that um, any argument that he has a net advantage because of his congenital amputation is just so ludicrous. There are particular circumstances here or there where he has a little bit of an advantage. You know, he's hard to come more on that side. Obviously um, there might be no arm bar available at all on that side. So he has that kind of thing going on, but that inability to do anything with that left arm necessary for grappling, which is really where he excels. The striking is all very functional for him. Um, you know, it's just so ludicrous. There's so much he can't do as a consequence offensively and so much that makes him liable defensively uh, that any sort of small nook or cranny where he has a bit of an advantage is really canceled out. Um, so there was one moment where he gets like a double in place. He just picks... Marcelino up and then drops him at just a little bit of an angle has one has the um, has the left arm uh, uh, the short left arm behind one knee and kind of picks up on the other one and then drops him down but just at a bit of an angle which kind of causes Marcelino to stumble and fall uh, he lands and in, and in, uh, in, I think half guard easily passes the side gets him out in a transition tries to get a guillotine cant um, and then tries to use that as Marcelino rolls for that belly down Russian jujikatami Maybe it is that outside arm. I haven't done it in a while, so now I kind of forget the details a little bit. What arm would I use to go for? Maybe it is that outside arm. I can't remember. I'll have to check that out. I've forgotten now on the details for that arm bar. Maybe it's that one. I-, I Whatever. Long story short is one of the keys to that is the shin is behind the head because what you're doing is you have one leg on their torso like right, right underneath here across their body and the one on the shin in the back of the head. What's happening is you're supposed to be rolling and the shin should be pushing their head in and turning them while your other leg kind of lifts them over. So you can imagine you have to hit this kind of quickly. You got to like, you got to like pop into position. Um, And he kind of got stuck there. So you see him driving Marcelino's head in, but he can't quite go. Marcelino jumps to the other side and then a full rotation actually um, to get out of it. So he does a good job escaping. So it was a good initiative by Newell, but on that finish with that shin, that shin's got to be driving that head underneath him, um, and he just can't. He got, got kind of you know once you get locked. If you have a car going really fast through a piece of mud, you may slip and slide, but your chances of going through it are pretty good. But if you slow down, and you stop in the middle, and then try and restart, it's going to be hard getting out of there. Some of these positions, some of these armbar transitions are like that, which is why Rousey likes these, the, these big movements. But she like explodes into them. You know what I mean? Um, so that was it. Um, let's see. Again, I am not going to talk too much about round three. One little note in round two. Um, again, Marcelino was caught inside control. Oh, one thing he did, I thought that was kind of cool was he had, you know, if you have a guillotine and someone jumps to the other side, you need to let go. Cause you're going to get Von Fluchok, right? And you're not doing anything to them. He actually does it, but he does like something he did. Excuse me. He did something I like, which is so, uh, Newell's legs are here. His legs are here. He ties up one so that he can scoot up underneath, which will then give him space to scoot both underneath and then face him. Now, it doesn't actually work. He can't quite get. But if you go back and watch the outside leg of Marcelino, he uses this to tie him up, tie him up, and then he uses this to try and scoot his hips underneath. Doesn't exactly work. Marcelo Garcia is the king of this from Butterfly. Um, so you, he has a bunch of videos on this. You can, I think you can look up like recapturing guard with Marcelo Garcia. He's got a bunch of stuff like this, where you get you hold one leg and then use the other one to scoot in, which then use your whole body to scoot in. Um, good initiative by Tom Marcelino in there. Didn't quite make it work, but I appreciated the effort that he put in there. Um, let's see. Oh, and then there was a grandby roll across his shoulders when he was actually inside control to I think reestablish position or at least change the angle. So again, a grandby roll is not across your back but across your shoulders, um, and he sort of he initiates it and rolls it to reset the angle, but um, Newell kept, Newell followed through and and stayed on top. All right, so I'm going to try something here. God help me. So one thing I'm going to try and do is, um, up next is Vinny Magalash versus um, Matt Hamill. And Vinny won this via knee bar, I think at just 108 of the first round. So I was going to break this down, but I had a few questions about it myself because I didn't have great, uh, I didn't think the camera angles were very good. So I called Vinny. And I said, Vinny, wh- you know, how did you do this? What do you think about this? I'm going to try and play that now. I hope to God this works. So let me uh, share my screen here. Uh, let's see. Let's go to this. Let's share this. Okay. So this is a video I put up. That's our my conversation with Vinny. Let me play that for you, and let's see how that goes. The way I looked at it, I'm looking at it here. You guys are clinched up, and then you kind of, uh, you, I'm not sure if you, did you intentionally go to the ground, or did he, did you did you trip? How, did, how does that work? Well, kind of like uh,
1: when, you're, when you're actually trading punches, you he caught him with an uppercut, which didn't like, uh, it didn't daze him or anything, but uh, he kind of your punch, right? And then that's when I started to clinch up. But when I went to the clinch, like I had a really sloppy, like, uh, clinch situation. And then you went for a snap down. When you went for a snap down, you got me off balance. And I just uh, kind of just went with it, you know. So instead of just like having like, letting, like, having, like him like snap it down, putting like whatever you wanted, I then felt like he was putting that pressure down. I just went with it and uh, I tried to put myself in an arm bar situation as soon as I got to
0: my back. Right, so he throws a left and you go for the arm bar. He, he stands up and then you grab a right hand uh, excuse me, a left hand on his right leg and then you what was the plan there? Like you were gonna go for a knee bar automatically or you were gonna go try to set up like a I don't know single like No my,
1: my my the way I set it up it was more well for the knee bar it was a pretty much that was think of not for the knee bar. As a matter of fact you're drilling that same move like in the locker room and you know, I like I postures up. and like my I mean, my like assumption like you were like if you've gone you either like try to like posture all the way up or try to stack as hard as you could and just try to stall. So I just saw those few, like scenarios like in the fight and uh, he did exactly one of the things that I thought he was going to do which was like try to posture up and he was posturing up off an armbar and that's exactly the move that you end up at, you know, because usually when I set up the armbar like you have am up on the left side, he usually leaves that under will come out to the side. Mm. So pretty much it was like, not that I planned that move in the side, but
0: that was a move that was a very training case if you have Got it, okay. So then you, he kind of gets off balance and then he gets back to his base. And then at this point, you're pulling him, you're, you're, you're basically pulling him on top of you or uh, slash over you. And you get your left leg uh, over the top uh, or in between his two legs. And he tries to spin, right? But when he spins, he never gets a cross face in there. What, From your judgment, what mistake did he make there when he spun?
1: Well, yeah, I just watched the fight. The, thing is, like, the way he spun around, like, he seemed more like he was working a uh, heel-hook defense. That's, that's what it would do, too. Somebody somebody had a look u-look, I'm gonna go for that spin to finish. I didn't even try to set up a u-look, I didn't have, you know, like, my whole thing was just like straight straight his knee and go for the knee bar, so I think the spin would have been a right technique for a different, if you were a different move, but not for the knee bar. When you went for the spin, he just pushed
0: himself away even further, which just made it easier for me to, to force that finish. Huh. There's a moment there, because it's a bad camera angle, I mean, obviously you have a different perspective. There's a moment there where, I, you're setting up the knee bar. You haven't really applied it. It looked like he was trying to fight your hands. He's got his right hand posted on the mat, and then interestingly, he's got his right leg entangled with what appears to be your left leg. Was there a an intentional extra foot entanglement there, or is that just sort of coincidence? No, that's
1: just myself. The move like I try to like, you know, I try to make sure when I go for knee bars, I have the like straps on my legs. So like, so you should, like go with both legs around, kind of like I did. But uh, there was no real, like, it wasn't much like, of, uh, oh, I just got whatever was available. You, it is a move that I set up, just like you yeah. have. So, I, I don't know if you watch my ATC match, you not doing twist or one, but the other two finishes are pretty much the same, similar setup, up, you know. I will throw the guy over my head and go for, like, a lock. walk. So, sometimes, it depends how the guy spins, yeah, I'm going to be laying a heel look. Sometimes, depending on how the guy spins, I'm going to be laying like, a heel look. But that way that, that I did, he just, like, he I'm sure, like, he put himself, like, almost into a knee bar situation, by spinning the wrong way. But uh, it's, it's a move that I do, like, it's pretty much the last two months, I did it, like, twice
0: in situations, like, in competition situation. Okay, and then the last, you finish it here, he, you, there's a bit where you, uh, he's fighting your hands a little bit, like, he doesn't have a really good angle on it. He's almost, like, like I said, he's posting off of his right hand, because he's basically off balance. And then you kind of shuck it off. How did you finish it? What grip did you use on the back of his ankle to, to finish? I mean, I know it's a knee bar, but, like, what grip did you use with your hands to solidify the finish?
1: Well, I usually just, like, try to, like, wrap the leg all the way around. The thing is, like, the way uh, he was trying to fight my hands were just making it hard for me to put, like, full pressure. So I had to just, like, wrapped tight with one arm and try to kill the other one. Like, once I was able to actually, like, treat myself with his hand, that's when I was able to like, put, put, like, uh, full press with both arms and at first I felt like it was locked He was not gonna get out of the move, but I wasn't being able to actually put full pressure to finish And once I was able to get rid of his hand,
0: then, then it was kind of just made it a little easier And then uh, lastly correct me if I'm wrong, but one thing i noticed here looking at the, the, the video It looks like the knee bar is so deep you have your ankles crossed below But it looks like you're pulling with your hamstrings. Is that true as well?
1: Well, not much uh i was using i was pinching really hard with the i talking my my thighs, but not like not much of not much of hamstring really i tried to stay really with my legs curled in so like i can't so I make sure that i stay tight on the guy's hips but uh it wasn't much of that really like it was more the pressure on my knees and i try to pinch my knees and make sure that i just have to be like the was not gonna get any loose
0: okay so that was me talking to Vinny. um i'll try to make those shorter going forward so they're not five minutes in length i'll put the video in the post on mma fighting so you can hear his explanation as well but i thought that might be a little bit better just you know straight from the horse's mouth get what he has to say give me just one second here okay and then last but not least on this card um for the flyweight title Megamed Babulatov defeating donovan Freelo. Not a whole lot to say about this one. You knew going in that Freelo, uh, strong, athletic, quick, and explosive, but just sort of offensively unrefined. This was going to be a tall task for him if he couldn't work the wrestling, if he couldn't dominate physically in close quarters and establish the takedown. He was going to have a little bit of trouble here. And even if he could... You know, there was a tall order for him. And even then, he couldn't do that. So, you know, you coming in. You know, a lot of spinning attacks, which you saw here. But just has that Dagestani full arsenal of takedowns. You know, one time he comes in and, and Freelo's able to get one underhook. He uses that to switch to Harai Goshi. You know, that's one leg in front of both of theirs. Bang, trips him out, throws him over, tries to move to Mount Asla, Allah, Islam Makachev. Can't quite do it. He was a little slow with it, but he had that going on for him. He had doubles when he needed them. A lot of times when Freelo was coming forward, using his aggression against them. Um, but you know, still, Bobolatov has a long way to go, so I think it was also very unrefined. But to me, that was really the story of that fight with Freelo, is that if he couldn't establish a takedown, if he couldn't get his hands on Bobolatov and lift and dump him, um, and force him to react to that offense, he was going to have a hard time, and that's basically exactly what happened. Should be noted, Rick Glenn, former champion, actually, uh, defeated Adam Ward via KO punches at 127 of the second round um, in a stoppage so nasty, the guy goes stiff, and he steps away before the ref even jumps in. So that was kind of uh, gross. Colton Smith, by the way, former Ultimate Fighter uh, contestant. Did he even win? I can't even remember. Defeated Washington De Silva. I, I should know that now, shouldn't I? Let's see. Yeah, he won the ultimate fighter, Carwin versus Nelson. Wow, God, I can't remember anymore. Um, a weird fight in a three round decision. Okay, so what is coming up next? Good question. So, this Friday, there's two events this weekend there's, there's Beltor 144 on Friday, and there's Poirier versus Duffy. You'll see Dublin on Saturday. There's not a lot to like on these cards. In the main event, Brendan Halsey taking on Rafael Carvalho. That should be a short fight if Halsey doesn't get knocked out, which I don't think he will. Brendan Ward is back, but he's taking on someone he should beat. The the key to this one is really going to be Michael Page taking on Charlie uh, Antiveros, which I like Page's chances. The more experience he can get and the more reps he can get, um, the better off he'll do. So that's the fight to watch for there. And then, of course, on Saturday um, on Fight Pass, finally another fight on Fight Pass, you've got – uh justin Parier taking on joseph duffy at ufc dublin the event kicks off at one by the way um because it's in dublin obviously and then the main card kicks off at 4 p.m these are east coast times the fights to watch for here as Poirier versus duffy that's a really really important fight for both guys careers petty Houlihan is back taking on Luis Smolka. that should be a tough fight for him uh norman park taking on the return of Reza madati and then nicholas dalby taking on darren till that should be a fun little main card not as much fun on the prelim card. I think actually a lot of people who are only here because they're European. If I'm being honest, couple of notable names: Stevie Ray is back. Neil Siri is back against John De Los Reyes. That's a tough fight for him. Ashling Daly taking on Erica Almeida. Um, let's see. Bubba Bush taking on Gareth McClellan. I mean, I don't even know why that fight's even taking place in the UFC. Darren Elkins is back, and then your boy, everyone's favorite, Cahal Pendrit is back taking on Tom Breeze. So that's what we're looking forward to in the in the coming uh, coming up next weekend. My hope is that our technical difficulties are all figured out. We'll have a backdrop. Sound will be fixed. Audio will be fixed. Lighting is already fixed. Um, we'll see what we can do. So, if you got a question for me, at SBN Luke Thomas uh, on Twitter, and then email me luke.thomas at SBNation.com. I will do my best to get those questions answered. Thank you so much for watching. Sincerest apologies for all the technical difficulties. And until next time, enjoy the fights.